Uh, in March last year, I prepared a sermon on the next passage in Esther, which I'd been preaching through, and it was more or less ready. And then, turned out, instead of getting up here and preaching that sermon, this is where I found myself for the very first live stream. And I know a lot of you have heard how Kath and Donald and I felt uh, that morning, pretty nervous, and uh, didn't really know, have a clue what we were doing. But it turns out Noah was on the other side, up there, on the other side of the camera. How did it feel for you, Noah? It was a, it was a bit of a mad panic to, <laughs> to get everything together in, in time. Um, and we also clearly couldn't work out where the light switch was, because <laughs> it's pretty dark. But no, we, we, I think we improved after then. Yeah, I'm sure it was lighter this morning, <laughs> this morning's live stream. Out of the live streams, uh, the worship group made a whole load of worship videos, which uh, you, most of you will have seen some of those. And the top 20 most watched ones on our YouTube channel have been made into a CD, um, which is out in the foyer if you would like to buy one. Um, and it's £10, and all the money is going back into buying equipment that the worship group need into that ministry. Um, so as I said, uh, 18 months ago or so, I uh, wrote or began to write a sermon which I never preached, and it was on coping with crises. And as it turns out, if I had preached it, then it would have been a fairly apt sermon to preach. But then I was thinking about it, and I thought, shall I, shall I still go ahead with it in the same way? And as I thought about it, if we think of our world, it is, we're always coping with crises. And over the last 18 months, we've become all the more aware of the things that are going on in our world. And it's not just the pandemic. All kinds of other things have um, come up and bubbled to the surface under the pressures that we've been under. And I wonder how we react. How do we react when there's a crisis? Now, we're not going to have a question time tonight. Um, but I do want participation, and uh, I'm sorry if you're one of the people that doesn't particularly like Menti, but we are going to have Menti. So if we go across onto Menti, because part of this evening is I want to look a little bit at how we react to a crisis, and we all react in different ways. Um, and so as you're logging on, the first question I wanted to ask is how do you tend to react when there's a crisis? Um, do you try and ignore it? Do you, are you a head-in-the-sand kind of person? Do you want to do something about it? You're quite a proactive person. You want to do something to help. Do you talk to lots of people? Is that how you process? You talk to all kinds of people about what's happened. Do you look to find out more, to find out details, to inform yourself about it? Or are you someone that just plain panics? Or do you sit and worry? So which of those um, is the main way? And we've got such a wide, and this is what I wanted to illustrate, that there's so many different ways amongst us. We're all so different in how we react to crises. And we're going to come back to Menti in a bit. But if we go back over to the other computer for now, that's just to get us started. How could we react to a crisis? And I want to continue um, in my series in Esther, and I think... Um, as I resume this, there's a crisis that Esther has to deal with and her uncle Mordecai that they have to deal with. And we see today how they face it. And we can learn a couple of things about how they faced this. But before we do that, just to bring you up to speed if you don't know the story of Esther, it's set in the Persian capital's massive empire, wealthy empire, and it's set in the capital of Persia. 
with a king given to excesses, to massive banquets, to doing things way over the top. And he's really easily taken in by the ill-advised plans of those people that he has in power around him, his advisors. He does whatever they say, even how ridiculous it might be. So after one of these crazy schemes of the advisors where the king had gathered all the pretty virgins of the entire Persian empire so that he could try them out and choose his queen, Esther was made queen. She won, possibly not very pleased about it, who knows, she was probably forced there, but she won this beauty contest and became the queen of Persia. Um, she was chosen. And she was a young Jewess who had been brought up by her uncle Mordecai. And he told her, do not let anyone know that you're a Jew. Keep it under wraps. And so she does. And she keeps it a secret. And she settles into life in the palace. Mordecai, her uncle, is an upright man. And he is a man who's a God follower. And he's unwilling to compromise, which leads him to refuse to bow down to one of these advisors of the king a power-hungry man, Haman, who if it was a pantomime, and actually Jews do do this when they tell the story of Esther, you would boo every time Haman comes on to the scene. He is like the major baddie in this story, and he decides he wants everyone to bow down to him. But Esther's uncle Mordecai refuses, and Haman gets so irate about this that he manages to convince the king to um, agree and stamp this plan to annihilate not just, Haim, uh, not just Mordecai, Esther's uncle, who's refusing to bow, but the whole of his people, to annihilate all the Jews across the whole empire. So this is a guy, you can see the excesses that this empire, uh, the king and his advisors are given to. So he manages to get the king to stamp his seal on this plan, to annihilate all the Jews. And last time I preached, I looked at Mordecai's response to this plan to annihilate his people, uh, he lamented. He put on uh, sackcloth and ashes, which was the way that they did it there, and he lamented. He was distraught, quite understandably. And we looked at how that's a really biblical way of dealing with things that are against God's kingdom. And actually, little did I know at the time that we would have so much practice or so much opportunity to practice lamenting in the following 18 months as a world. Um, but today, the story moves on to a conversation between Esther and her uncle Mordecai. But they can't actually talk. I'm assuming Esther couldn't go to the gate uh, where her uncle was, and he couldn't go in to where she was. I mean, they didn't know that she was a Jew at the time. She'd managed to keep that secret. But we see how they reacted after that initial reaction of lamenting. How did they react to this crisis? Mordecai's refused to accept the clothes that Esther sent to him. She's going, you know, it's probably you're embarrassing me, you're going over the top, and she sends him these clothes to change for the sackcloth, and he says no. And she realizes it's really serious. And so she decides to send her trusted servant, and he must be trusted, because he goes back and forth with private messages um, to the gate to find out what is going on. She doesn't just bury her head in the sand, she sends her trusted servant to go find out what's going on. Why is her uncle lamenting at the gate? And so we get to today's story. So Haytak, her servant, went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him 
including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, which is the capital of the empire, to show Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Mordecai doesn't just send a message back with his version of events to Esther. Esther doesn't know why he's upset. He doesn't just send back and say, this is what's going on, this really, you know, this horrible man and da 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 He doesn't just send his version of events, but he adds exact details of what Haman had paid, as well as a copy of the official document ordering the annihilation of his people. Mordecai wants Esther to be well-informed, and not just with the hearsay, but with the official facts of what is going on. And uh, as we react to the crises around us, I think this shows us a real, um, something that, that is, is so um, pertinent to what's going on in our world, that God's people seek to be well-informed from reliable sources. As God's people, we have that responsibility. And it might be in personal situations, what's going on with our friends, with our family. It might be in personal situations. I grew up in a community in northeast Brazil where gossip spread like wildfire. Like, honestly, I'm not going to go into the crude details, but you knew everything that went on in that community. Um, what everyone got up to at any point, everyone knew. And, uh, but sometimes it didn't spread quite accurately. There was a man who used to sell, I mean, Paul's going to correct me probably on the details, I think he used to sell fish, he used to come around on his bike selling fish, and um, he wasn't from the community, but he used to come each week selling fish, and then one day we heard he, he'd been in an accident and he died, and, you know, everyone was very sad, we didn't know him that well, but, you know, very sad, whatever, and he didn't turn up, and, you know, he, he, he'd obviously died in this accident. About a year later, and you have to understand this community is terrified of ghosts, it's the kind of thing that they absolutely hate, and about a year later, we heard that people had gone screaming because the fish guy had come cycling into the community. And uh, they absolutely... It turns out the guy had been in an accident, but he hadn't died. And uh, just shows what gossip um, can lead to, um, to this kind of twisting of information. And hence why Esther was so wise to get direct information rather than listening to the gossip passed along the palace halls. She sent for a direct um, first-hand account from Mordecai, and he sent her the official uh, information. But it's not just in personal situations, like the gossip around where I grew up. At the moment, I think far more is um, a, a really pertinent thing, is what, what happens online. It's so prominent, this online gossip. TikTok reels giving us the facts of really complex situations within 20 seconds, and fake news articles. And uh, so on Menti, if we go over to Menti, given that I was going to do this at 10.30, so it's a little bit of a children's talk, but I'm going to test you anyhow. Um, there's a test. All of these articles appeared online, but not all of them are true, and I want to see how uh, good you are at guessing. If you don't have a smartphone, don't worry, just keep a tally of how many you managed to get right. Um, so they're all online. You can chat amongst yourselves when they come up as well. So what's going to happen, if you've ever been to Cafe Church, it's the same kind of thing. You watch your phone, 
um, the question will come up, and you just have to say, yeah, so you've got 10 seconds, so go fast. NASA is installing internet on the moon. True or false? See what you think. The answers will appear in a moment. Time's up. Ooh. <laughs> True. See, it's not easy. That was published online. Um, it really is ha happening. NASA will be building a 4G network on the moon, enabling them to control lunar robots. Who knew? Number two. So look at your phones. A university banned the use of capital letters to avoid scaring students. Let's see. Oh, more for false. Oh, but still quite even. It was false. Um, some actual guidance that a university gave was misreported to seem more dramatic. So it's important to check a story uh, on multiple sources to get the full picture. Number three. A couple in California name baby with emoji. <laughs> what do you reckon? True or false? So, it was false. It was made up by a satirical um, news site, and uh, it was completely untrue. You're doing badly. How many have you got, Kath? <laughs> there are three more, I think. Eight-year-old girl pulls medieval sword from the lake. True or false? What do you reckon? Come on, Kath, you can get two. What have you put? <laughs> True, Kath has got two. <laughs> Looks like Amanda's got one as well. <laughs> uh, and second to last. Now I can't press the clicker now I've got this handheld. A German street was covered in chocolate after leak from chocolate factory. What are you going for? True or false? You've gone false. <laughs> a ton of chocolate leaked from a chocolate factory in Weston and covering the pavement. Can you imagine? And then the last one. Gorillas learn to knit. It's got to be true, Kath says. <laughs> oh. uh, <laughs> Gorillas are clever, but they haven't quite got that far yet. So later on in my sermon, oh, let's have a look at the leaderboard, actually. How did people do? Who's won? Zach. Zach, wherever Zach is, he uh, looks like he's won. Well done, Zach. I'll find you some kind of prize. Oh, there he is. I'll find you some kind of prize a bit later on. The quiz is a bit fun, but it shows how difficult it is to know what is true in our world. And uh, often we think that things are worse than they really are because of the way that the media twists things and puts a negative spin on things. But sometimes we can also fail to realize that something really is an issue, either because um, it's something that doesn't concern us or concerns someone that is close to us, and we just manage to just not acknowledge it as a problem. 
But we can seek to be well informed by listening to people who have proved themselves as trustworthy, but also by looking into original documents, like Mordecai sent that original document and first-hand accounts that contain the facts rather than the hearsay and opinion, which is the foundation for most news articles these days. But it also affects our personal relationships. How often do we try and influence people in relation to another person by conveying gossip that we've heard on the grapevine rather than going straight to the person and, and talking to them? It's a tricky path to navigate, but I think Esther and Mordecai can teach us a lot about straight, honest conversation, as well as basing decisions on facts rather than hearsay. They don't ignore the problem and pretend nothing's happening, but they also don't make impulse decisions. First, they seek to be well informed, and this can affect all kinds of areas of our lives. For me, in my faith, the time that I started taking it really seriously was when I was at university and I heard a talk by a biblical the uh, theologian on the historicity of the Bible. It sounds very dull, but it just impressed on me how much I can trust the Bible. And I know Kath covers that in Alpha. You do, don't you? Yeah. Kath covers that in Alpha. But just how it is truth. And one of the reasons I love the Bible is that it is truth. I don't want to base my life on gossip or on TikTok facts or the media's ulterior motives. The Bible and the values it teaches us are far, far more solid, more time-tested and truthful than 99% of what I see as I'm scrolling down my feeds. But it isn't an excuse to ignore what's going on in the world around us and say, I'm just going to read the Bible. I'm not going to look at anything else around me. And uh, there's a biblical scholar who said this, to inquire thus after news that we may know the better how to direct our griefs and our joys, our prayers and our praises, well becomes all that love the Lord. How can we be a people that, like Esther, seek to be well informed from reliable sources? We do want to be well-informed, fill ourselves with truth, both the Bible but also well-researched knowledge that takes into account opposing views, listens well, and takes time to make judgments. We don't want to be a people that pass on rumours, whether that be things people tell us but can't back up, or whether it be things that we watch in a short reel, a TikTok video, social media post, false news article, if we share something, let's be sure that we're able to expand logically and not just spout an isolated fact that's been taken out of context. We don't want to be people that are taken in by things that people have put out to prove a point and that have an agenda that they want to prove. That's not what we want to be passing on. As Christians, we can be reacting to a world in crisis in a distinctive way. Not only seeking to be well informed, but when we discover what the crisis is by trusting in our God instead of panicking. In the Psalms, we're reminded that when we choose to live for God, we can trust him 
He is good, and he is working to build his good kingdom. So that's the first point. Let's be a people that seek to be well-informed, like Esther did. But the story goes on. And I want to highlight just one more thing um, in a quicker point uh, at the end of this story. So Mordecai has said to Hatak, her servant, go back and tell her that she needs to go to the king and plead for her people. So right at the moment, when Esther had managed to settle into the palace, she'd managed to conceal her identity. The very person who had told her not to say she was a Jew is telling her to come out and put herself in immediate danger, put her life in immediate danger, as we'll find out. Hatak went back and reported to Esther all the things that Mordecai had said. And Esther replied like this, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. In other words, her chances don't look good. If she goes to the king, the likelihood is he's not going to be happy and she could put her life in danger. And she carries on. Well, no, so he takes the message and uh, Mordecai reacts like this. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And anyone who's heard anything of the story of Esther, this is the famous verse um, that I finally got to, I don't know how many sermons later, um, this verse. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Chapter 3 saw Mordecai take a stand for God and for his people when he wouldn't bow down to Haman. And all the Jews um, were told that they were going to be annihilated because he made that stand. In chapter 4, Esther is challenged to do the same thing, to make a stand. And Mordecai points out that she has been put in this position, not for her own personal advantage, but of something far larger. Privilege comes with responsibility, and this is what he's trying to get through to her. And I wonder how often we're tempted to think of our position in life as something that we can reap the benefits from. The school we go to, the job we work at, the family we're part of, the church we're a part of, the house we live in, the friends we have, the small group we belong to, the park nearby, the public services that serve us, the list goes on. How do we feel when we have to share these things or allow them to be changed in a way that disturbs our routine? Or when we have to choose between comfortably enjoying the benefits of these things and risking our comfort in order to benefit someone else or a bigger cause? Because that's what Esther felt. A lot of you will know what went on with Harry and Meghan. And whatever you think about their decision, I'm not getting into that now. 
Harry was born into a family that gave him certain privileges and certain responsibilities, which came with some pressures and burdens, a good deal of them. And then Meghan chose to accept his invitation to join that family, to marry him and enter into that same reality. And in the end, we all know the pressures and the burdens were too much for them. And so they've chosen to leave behind those particular privileges and responsibilities. But as Christians, when we choose to join God's family and work with him to build his kingdom, we gain the privileges that come with being sons and daughters of a forgiving, loving, merciful, compassionate, and graceful father. But with that comes the responsibilities of serving in his kingdom and using all that he's given us to serve those for whom he shows compassion and grace. Like with Harry and Meghan, we can't choose to have the privileges without the responsibilities that come with representing God's kingdom. But, and if we go over to Menti, in order to use things to serve others, we have to be aware that we have them. Are we aware of the God that we serve, of who he is, of the things that we have access to, all the things that we can see scrolling up there, the houses, the gardens, the parks, the schools, the hospitals, the food, the experiences we've gained, the positions and relationships we've been placed in at work, in our families, with our neighbours, in our schools. The list goes on and on. And feel free to add any more that you like. I just want to read two verses. I will make of you a great nation. This was said by God to Abraham. I'll make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We have been blessed so that we can bless. All these things that we're thankful for aren't just so that we can reap the benefits. They're so that we can bless other people. And every single one of us has something that we can be grateful for. And therefore something that we can use to bless others. We all, each one of us, have a contribution to make. And I wonder whether you've thought about what yours might be. Might it be mentoring or guiding someone like Mordecai did, or perhaps refusing to compromise, standing firm like he did beforehand? Might it be risking like Esther, or perhaps seeking to just plod along and live following godly guidance even when things weren't making sense, like she did when she was dragged away from her family into the royal palace and had to hide who she was and just plod along with daily life? Or perhaps it might be praying and fasting like all the Jews did, and we'll look into that next time I preach. They all prayed and fasted for Esther when she was going to go see the king. Might we be one of those people who encourages and support those in the position of influence, like the people who prayed and fasted did for Esther? Sometimes, it can be hard to know what to do in order to bless others, even when we are well-informed. 
Esther was faced with a difficult decision as to how she would act. But in the end, she came out with a decisive, very definite plan. And next time I preach, I'll look at that and how she equipped herself um, in order to be able to do this. But for today, there's some practical questions that I want to leave for us to be asking ourselves this week. Firstly, we said how God's people seek to be well-informed from reliable sources. What have we shared with others that we didn't know enough about and so perhaps shared half-truths or fake news? Can we seek to avoid doing this in the future? What changes do we need to make in our conversations and our online presence? And secondly, privilege comes with responsibility. Do we realize that we're privileged? What contribution can we be making towards God's kingdom? Why have we been placed in the position that we're in with the character, the giftings, and the experiences that we have for such a time as this? It may seem heavy and a burden. Are we willing to take on the responsibilities that come with these blessings? But let's not forget the flip side, the privileges of being the children of God. And I'm going to invite the worship band uh, back up and Noah. And as we worship, let's remind ourselves of who we belong to and the king that we serve above all others, a king so different to the king that Esther and Mordecai, Mordecai had to contend with, a king who helps us discern the truth and who showers us with all that we need and more so that we're able to fulfill the responsibilities that he's placed us here for. Let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you that you are a good king, that you lead us through the crises that we face, that you show us what is true, that you lead in truth, that you lead us to the truth, that you are the truth. And Father, we thank you for the blessings that you shower over us. Help us to use these wisely for your kingdom, to fulfill the responsibilities that you've given each one of us in our particular places where you've placed us tonight and tomorrow morning. We pray that you would lead us. Amen.